0: listening to Friendlier, the podcast for friends who love to talk, read, and eat. I'm Sarah. And I'm Abby. Today, we're
1: going to do our listener Q&A. Listeners, thank you so much for all the great questions that you've submitted. But
0: before we get to that, let's catch up on Life Lately. What's new with you, Sarah? I would like to give a post-race update. I did the 5K that was local, and the hills were really hard. I thought they would never (laughs) end. But I finished, and felt great. And then the next weekend I went up to Indy and had kind of a night by myself in the hotel and then ran the race in the morning. It was perfect fall weather. It was really fun to run with a lot of people. The Mm -hmm. race I did earlier in the summer was very small. So a lot of the time I was running by myself Mm. and I really enjoyed having people around the whole way. It felt very motivating and fun. And I ran without my headphones, which is the first race that I've done that. Just Mm running by myself. And I really liked it. I really liked just experiencing the race and taking it all in. And I signed up for another 10k to do on Thanksgiving with my sister. Yay, so fun. Feeling very excited about running. We'll see how long it lasts as the weather gets colder. But for right now, I am feeling very inspired and having fun with it. So cool.
1: What's new with you? I took my final exam of nursing school this morning. Yay! Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. So all that's left is basically my preceptorship, which is being a nurse with another nurse for mm-hmm. 240 hours. So that's what I have to do between now and December. There are some assignments here and there, but I won't take another test until I sit for the NCLEX, which is the nursing board, sometime in January probably
0: closing in on the end of it
1: yep now let's talk about what we've been reading
0: what's your latest book sarah i read the girl from the sea by molly knox Ostertag. this is a ya graphic novel that follows morgan it's about her coming out to her friends and her family and about her relationship with kelty who is a selkie that lives in the sea Mm. but then comes out onto the land like selkies do Yes, I suppose so. I did not know much about Selkies, (laughs) so I'm not sure. Everything I know I learned from this book. (laughs) Love it. It also has themes of environmentalism and standing up for what's right, even when that means going against your friends. Nice. I loved the beautiful art, great characters, a believable story. I mean, if you exclude the part about being in love with a Selkie. But the relationships felt very believable. It was a really quick read. I finished it in a single sitting. I don't read many graphic novels and I'm not usually drawn to them, but reading this one made me feel like I want to read more of them. Mm. I would recommend it. I really enjoyed reading something different than my norm. Nice. What have you been reading? My latest book is
1: exactly within my norm. It's called (laughs) Lady Daring Takes a Lover, and this is by Julianne Long. This is the first book of hers that I've read, but apparently she's written quite a bit of Regency romance. Okay. But what I really loved about it is that it had very strong female characters and good female friendships in the book. So Lady Daring is widowed at the beginning and her husband apparently is in mountains of debt. So the only thing she inherits outright is this big old house close to the docks, which is not a fashionable part of London, Mm -hmm. but sort of through a series of coincidences, she ends up opening a boarding house there with her husband's ex lover and Mm -hmm. her beloved lady's maid. (laughs) So imagine three women running a boarding house And then Lady Daring falling in love with a dashing sea captain. And you've got the book. And I loved it. And I will be reading more. This is the first in the series known as the Palace of Rogues, which apparently is what that building was called before they changed its name. There you go. So there are more Palace of Rogues books that I will certainly be getting from the library. Okay, now let's move on to our listener Q&A. I'm just going to read the questions, and then we're going to go back and forth with the answers. And you were saying before we started that we have a really nice range of questions and subjects here. So listeners, buckle up. It's going to be a fun ride. (laughs) The first one says, regarding parenting, how do you decide what kind of parent you want to be?
0: I think a lot of it for me is tuning into what feels right and then finding resources to support it. I like to read parenting books that align with my overall philosophies rather than <laughs> reading different parenting books and seeing what fits. Uh huh. Uh huh. And that's a general nonfiction reading philosophy that I have. <laughs> that you like
1: to read nonfiction books that validate yes. your life experience and ideas rather yes. than things that challenge you too much? Mm,
0: I like to be challenged in bigger overall societal issues and knowing about them in nonfiction. Uh huh. But in terms of how I'm living my life, yes. Validation. That's what I'm seeking. (laughs) I love it. It also feels like such an iterative process as they get older, and a lot of homing in on my values comes through conversations, Mm. many of which are with you. Mm -hmm. Because I think Mm -hmm. we do have similar parenting philosophies, and being able to talk about situations that come up and what felt right or what felt wrong or how I handled it or could handle it. I feel like as I have done more and more parenting and had more and more of those conversations, I'm able to quickly recognize what feels right and wrong in parenting. Hmm. Another aspect for me is just keeping the big picture in mind and thinking about what is the goal here as we're raising these humans? And I think that helps me let a lot of the things go that don't really matter. Nice. How about for you? So I know
1: how I was parented and what worked about that. And I know what I've tried with all the childcare that I've done because I've done a lot of nannying and camp counseling and things like that. And then I kind of have this general framework, which for me falls under the umbrella of respectful parenting that mm-hmm. works. But beyond that, much of it is instinct. And I was trying to think back to think if I've ever read any parenting books all the way through. And I think I might have read Janet Lansbury's book all the way through. But other than that, I have parenting books that I've just never read. Like I have books in my Kindle or on my shelf that are just sitting there that I think I, you know, sort of vaguely understand what they're about or agree with the (laughs) philosophy. But other than that, it really is responding to my kids and what their actual needs are. And then Mm -hmm. doing... The sort of checking in in community. So you and I checking in, me checking in with Plum's friends' parents, you know, this group of parents that we have met through our school that we are all parenting in similar ways. And then also, like I've mentioned before, the Visible Child and the B Team Facebook groups where I'm not usually – commenting on things but i'm Mm -hmm. reading a lot about other people's experiences and looking at people who are further along in parenting so they have a little bit older kids or in the case of visible child robin enzig is the expert who runs that group and offers her expertise for free and then there are moderators in there who also are parenting experts so i'm reading their stuff but that's really how i cobble together my parenting philosophy Mm mm-hmm Okay, next question. Where do you get your recommendations for books and recipes from? And then this listener
0: said that she gets hers from us, which is very nice. For reading, it's a combination of seeing what other people are reading on Goodreads, especially if friends give something five stars, that always catches my attention. And then through my work at the library, I'm just coming across lots of books. I get different book newsletters from publishers. I'm handling books all of the time. I'm doing a lot of reader's advisory. So my reading list is always much longer than what I can reasonably consume I would also say check out the staff picks on library Mm -hmm. websites. Mm -hmm. And these are not things that I create. I am consuming my colleagues' work through Mm -hmm. these staff picks. But I have especially loved some of the YA lists that staff have put together. There's a YA mystery list that I was loving going through and feel like they do a great job with little annotations when you have a genre that you're interested in. Mm -hmm. It's a great way to get some pre-vetted books. So for books for me, my Carborough Book Club,
1: which is now virtual, and then my other virtual book club that meets about quarterly are two big places where I get recommendations. And then I've also talked about the Facebook book groups that I'm in where I get a lot of recommendations And then occasionally we'll get book recommendations from listeners. And then obviously I get book recommendations from you. I think you did a project for a class Mm -hmm. that you were in where you had to recommend books based on what people read. And that list was awesome. So Sarah's a great recommender, (laughs) (laughs) y'all. And then finally, Kate Bayer, the poet, and Katherine Newman, one of my favorite memoirists and authors, both recommend books via their Instagrams. And I love Mm. their recommendations usually as well. Nice. How about recipes, Sarah?
0: I don't feel like I have a great source of recipes as I have been in a major food rut and not trying a lot of new things. But two go-to websites for me are Budget Bites and Damn Delicious. Mm -hmm. I like a lot of things from those sites and often browse them when I'm looking to add meals that aren't just quesadillas to our menu. (laughs) How about you?
1: I get a lot of recipes from friends. So I have a dear friend from high school who will send me things that she's cooking a lot, which is really nice. And then my Facebook mom group has an Excel document of recipes that have been vetted by moms in that group, which is really awesome. And then Instagram, particularly Trader Joe's Five Items or Less, which I've talked about now on the last three episodes of this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, next question. Are there any older episodes where if you listen now, you disagree with what you said then?
0: Yes. I have not gone back and listened, but I did reread the outline of the food in our lives from 2018 and had some cringe moments. Mm. My thoughts on food have evolved significantly since then. I think I was headed on the path to where I am now in terms of anti-diet philosophies, but definitely Not quite there yet. Mm -hmm. Specifically, I talked about giving up sugar for extended periods of time and feeling like that was a good strategy to take, and that generally abstaining from certain foods worked for me, Mm. which I definitely do not agree with now. And I wonder if I would feel the same way about our exercise episode from around the same time. Mm. I didn't look at that one in as much detail, but I think I have a more positive view towards exercise and the role it plays in my life than I might have expressed then. Interesting. Those are the ones that come to mind for me. This is not
1: so much an episode, but something that I said multiple times on the pod was that I never wanted to own a house again. We had such a bad (laughs) experience owning our first townhouse in Nashville. Mm -hmm. And then I was sort of in this like beautiful place with renting. And then our landlord turned out to be horrible Mm -hmm. (laughs) and really made that last year or really maybe two years that we were in Carbro, really hard. It was really stressful. He was Mm -hmm. turned out to be a very terrible person. And so now we own a house again. So I'll eat my words on that one.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I do remember you were very much team rent.
1: I love this question. And it created a lot of thoughts for me, only some of which I will say here. But Sarah, where do you see yourself in 10 years?
0: In 10 years, HP should be launched from the home and E will be entering her final year of high school. I'd love to be taking more extended vacations as a family, thinking of going someplace for at least a month and Mm. doing some hiking, settling in, kind of doing a slow living vacation. Love that. I think we will still be in Bloomington, but a lot of that depends on what kind of job I find when I'm done with school. If something is available here, that will be great. But if not, we'll have to have some conversations about whether it would be a good time to find another place to settle down for the last half of our kids' childhood. If we are here, I think we'll be in the same house. We have no plans To move within Bloomington. And I hope by that point, Neil will be considering moving to a part time or generally more flexible work situation, but we'll see. My dream would be for both of us to have a part time professional level position. There don't seem to be many of those in the world, but I'm putting it out there into the universe. Hopefully, 10 years from now, organizations will understand the need for more creative and flexible work structures. I hope so. May it be so.
1: In 10 years, I will have a 16-year-old and a 13-year-old, which is also wild.
0: (laughs) Very different than your current life.
1: Uh Uh-huh. I would love at that point to be working as a certified nurse midwife in a birth center. Mm -hmm. There are no birth centers currently in the state of Alabama. So in terms of where we'll be geography-wise, I have no idea. Birmingham has really surprised me by how much it's grown on me, Mm -hmm. but there are still challenges to living here. I mean, one of them, like I said, is the lack of birth centers, but there are other things, too, that make me think that we could be somewhere else in 10 years. How do you deal
0: with sibling bickering and the it's not fair nonstop? My strategy is mostly to ignore. (laughs) Generally, they're pretty good at working it out themselves or eventually separating themselves when the frustration level becomes too much for one of them. Don't get me wrong. This often looks like two very frustrated kids stomping off in irritation, but that feels okay to me. Mm -hmm. I have not found that my interventions have been particularly helpful and mostly Mm. just add another frustrated person to the mix. (laughs) Yep. Sometimes I'll intervene and say what I'm noticing. Most of the time that is when one kid is no longer having fun, like they were playing together, having a great time, but then at some point it stopped being fun for one of them and the other one is too far gone to notice or be able to stop themselves. And often I will just say, so-and-so does not seem to be having fun anymore. Let's all check in. Mm -hmm. But in general, ignoring it, me walking away, asking kids to go to a different space is the strategy that we use. How about for you? At my worst,
1: I get really annoyed and yell at them. At my best, I am able to tune it out. That does sometimes feel harder, especially with them being a little younger. And so I think Mm -hmm. these strategies that you're saying of sort of like the old sports casting thing. Plum, it sounds like Pepper is saying this. And Pepper, it sounds like Plum is saying this. Mm -hmm. I think y'all can work this out. (laughs) That often that will work. And sometimes encouraging the change of scene. You know, it sounds like you're having a hard time playing nicely with the couch fort that you've built. Why don't y'all go upstairs and find something else to do? So that it's not that they don't want to play together. It's that whatever they were doing has broken down and they just need some gentle encouragement to take themselves to figure something else out.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: We don't hear a lot of it's not fair at my house. Mm -hmm. I think because we're pretty clear with our kids that a lot of life isn't fair. And so that's not really something that they use to complain.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So for what it's worth, that's how we deal with it. There you go. What's a
0: book you didn't like that everyone else did? I hated The Goldfinch by Donna Tart. I'm not sure how many people loved this book. It did win the Pulitzer Prize. Uh huh. So some critics clearly loved it. Sure. But it is hours of my reading life. I will never get back. And I wish I had been a book quitter when I was reading that book.
1: And I never read that book because I remember you hating
0: it so much. <laughs> so, so much. <laughs> Recently on the romance front, I really did not like the Spanish love deception, which mm. I found through the Goodreads Reader's Choice Awards. I don't know that I got the top spot, but it was maybe number two or three because wow. I was thinking, oh, these are some really popular romances. I'm going to read them. And didn't work for me. And I also don't care for Tessa Bailey or the bromance series of romance books. I have also tried reading the Murderbot books after you raved about them so much, Mm -hmm. and then Neil read them and really liked them. And I've tried the first one three or four different times, (laughs) and I cannot get past the first 30 pages. And this last time I told Neil, I'm trying so hard to read... (laughs) these books because you and Abby liked them so much and he's like how far in are you I was like I don't know 30 or 40 pages he's like if you don't like it yet you're not gonna like it he's like I liked it from the very beginning yeah because those first books are so
1: short they're little novellas so if you're 30 Mm -hmm. or 40 pages in you're like most of the way through yeah
0: so maybe at some point I will see the light but at this point I've set them aside fair enough The two that I
1: thought of were All the Light We Cannot See by Anthony Doerr, which Mm -hmm. I liked this book fine. I didn't hate it. This was not something that I regretted reading, but this is a book that has almost a full five stars on Goodreads. People Mm -hmm. are obsessed with this book, and I was just like,
0: it was fine. (laughs) I remember a very specific conversation when we were in our little rental before we moved out to Bloomington, and I saw that you gave it three stars on Goodreads, and I called you and was like, Abby, explain to me why you are only giving this three stars. I do not understand. And you're like, I mean, I don't know. I just didn't like it. <laughs> yep. Yep.
1: So there's that. And then a similar three-star book experience for me was A Court of Thorns and Roses by Sarah J. Mm Maas. And I even tried the second book. I tried starting it because people are like, Mm -hmm. oh, if you got through the first book, you'll probably love the second and third book. And I think I got, I don't know, some part of the way through. These are long books, though, right? Those -hmm. those books are really long. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, I don't care about these people. I feel annoyed by all of them. I can't do it. And so I quit the second
0: book. (laughs) Yeah. Where I have reread the second and third book every year for four years now. (laughs) It takes all kinds. Yep. Books for everyone. And on the subject of books, Sarah, what's
1: a book that changed your life?
0: This was a hard question for me to find an answer to. Books have always been a really big part of my life, but I don't know how many books I've read that I've thought, Really changed the trajectory or my life philosophy. The one I ended up choosing was Bridge to Terabithia that I read as a kid. And I think this was the book that made me love books where you feel so deeply the joy and pain of human existence. Mm. I remember reading it over and over and crying over and over. And that felt like a turning point in my reading life when I look back on it in terms of what I want to get out of books and what feels like a meaningful reading experience. And obviously, I don't want that in every book that I read, but something about how deeply I could be touched by a book has stuck with me. And I think that book was the start of it. I love that.
1: The one that I chose is Lamb, The Gospel According to Biff, Christ Childhood Pal by Christopher Moore. And I read it for the first time at the end of high school, probably. And I think why it felt so life-changing to me is because I grew up in a really conservative suburb of Dallas and Garland, Texas, where almost everyone I knew was Christian. And not many paths one truth, but Christ is the path for me. Like, Christ is the only path kind Mm -hmm. of Christian and as a Unitarian which is the church that I grew up in and that I still identify with I felt wrong a lot of the time and Lamb is a fictional account of Jesus's life from the perspective of his best friend who is Biff (laughs) and it was just this expansive beautiful open imagining of what Christ's life could have been like. Mm -hmm. And so for me to read it at that time made things feel so much more open and okay Mm -hmm. in terms of religion than they'd felt like for me before. Yeah. Do you have an allowance and chore
0: system for your kids, Sarah? We do have chores for the kids. This is an ever evolving set of responsibilities Currently, E sets the table five nights a week and waters the plants two times a week, which is much more than I was watering them when it was my (laughs) responsibility, so I think the plants are happier. (laughs) HP empties the dishwasher whenever it is ready, which is usually two out of every three days. They both help with dinner cleanup two nights a week, and they both put away their own laundry. There's also basic stuff like clearing their plates, putting away their lunches and backpacks after school, helping to bring in the rolling trash cans on trash day, etc. They could definitely do more, but this has felt like a good step in the right direction. The hardest part has been for me and Neil to stay on top of it and make sure it is getting done. Mm. When things are busy, sometimes it feels easier to just let it slide, For example, there has been giant piles of laundry in their baskets in their room that haven't been put into drawers, but they just haven't felt the need to really push the issue, and it seems fine. (laughs) Allowance is not tied to chores at our house. We currently have a monthly system. They each get $15 a month, five for spend, five for save, and five for give. The save money, they have to spend on something worth more than $20, where as the spend money they can use for anything, which mostly means candy at this stage of their lives, (laughs) which is also how I remember spending my spend money. It feels very nostalgic of my childhood. (laughs) If they put some of their spend money into save, we match it. So Mm. they get more money to incentivize saving I read the book The Opposite of Spoiled by Ron Lieber when they were little, and that has shaped a lot of my thinking on allowance and money and ways to impart some financial literacy to kids. But it's also very similar to the way things were done at my house growing up, though our categories were spend, save, and college. Then when I went to college, I got one-eighth of the money in that account every semester, which I then used to pay for books. We tell them that allowance is for them to practice using and understanding money, while chores are what we do to help the house run smoothly. They can earn extra money for doing chores, mostly cleaning the bathroom or picking up sticks in the yard, both of which are things Neil and I don't enjoy doing. (laughs) (laughs) What's it look like at your house? With Both kids,
1: we expect them to help around the house so they don't have any official chores. A lot of it is if I need help with something, I will set them up with a thing to do. So Mm -hmm. friends are coming over. It's time to pick up your stuff or please wipe down the table or please change the placemats. And it's more like I see what needs done and I delegate the tasks. Please Mm -hmm. collect the chicken eggs. They are both responsible for cleaning their plates into the trash or compost after dinner and breakfast and putting their plates in the sink, put your shoes on the shoe shelf, hang your coat on the hook, like that kind of basic self-care type stuff. And like you, chores are completely separate from allowance. Pepper doesn't get allowance. I don't think he even really understands what money is. (laughs) He Mm -hmm. He found a quarter like in the couch or something the other day. He said... Mom, look, I have a coin. <laughs> so, like, he has no idea what's going on. Plum is more tuned in to money and is starting to learn more about how things cost. So this year we instituted an allowance for her monthly. She gets her age in dollars each month, which we write in an extra checkbook register for her. Mm-hmm. So she can see her money stacking up. We are out and about and she wants something. If it's more than $5, she has to wait 24 hours to see if she still wants it, which cuts Mm. down on a lot of purchases. This is also a rule that I enforce on myself, (laughs) that if I want something, (laughs) I will like put it in the Amazon cart for 24 hours and see if I still want it. Mm -hmm. And then she does end up buying the thing, then we just pay for it with our credit card and then subtract it out of her notebook. Mm -hmm. And right now she's really excited about just letting it grow and grow.
0: It's been very interesting seeing how my children respond very differently and have different strategies regarding saving and spending and how they want to spend their money and how much satisfaction they get from saving. It's interesting to think about how much of that is taught and how much of it is innate. hmm How
1: you can see their personalities coming through in how mm-hmm. they treat their money. I find that yeah. really interesting as well. Basically, in terms of allowance, we just look at it as universal basic
0: income. There you go. And we'll bring Pepper on board when he cares about it. I will say I'm very bad about doing it on a regular basis. My Mm -hmm. kids have to remind me, and we're normally always at least a month behind. And at one point, HP made a giant poster board-sized sign that he put up in our room that reminded us to give them allowance. And I think Neil said, why don't you just make a sign so that we'll remember? And then he got out the butcher paper and had a a big, big thing going up. But you do what you got to do to get your money. (laughs) It's true. When you were undergrads,
1: what did you study and how many times did
0: you change your major? I went into school thinking I was going to be a French major, but then felt very frustrated with the program in my first semester. And since the program was so small at our school, I did not see that getting better. Right. I have regrets that I didn't move into Spanish or German and just abandoned languages altogether, but it is what it is. Can't go back. I switched to religion after that first semester and stuck with it for the rest of my time there. And I started out as a
1: biology major, but then Hendrik started a new major while we were there. So I ended up majoring in that, which was biochemistry and molecular biology. And it was a switch in major, but it wasn't a switch in terms of like me needing to take new classes and things. I was always on that biology track Mm -hmm. and headed that direction. So really not much changed. Can you talk about being progressive in a red state and how you find your people?
0: I don't know if I'm the best person to give advice about this, because I've really always lived in a blue bubble when I've been in red states. Growing up, I was in a university town in Missouri. Our college was a blue bubble in Arkansas, Austin in Texas, and now Bloomington in Indiana. I honestly haven't noticed a huge difference between being in a blue bubble versus when I was living in Oregon, that there have always been lots of progressive people around, definitely looking to the state politics feels very depressing and frustrating and like there isn't a lot of hope for change. Mm -hmm. And that can be really hard to not feel represented and to not see a way in which my interests will be represented at the state level. Hmm. I don't know that I have a lot of advice there. But that has been my experience.
1: And I touched on this some already, but it was really hard to grow up in a more conservative place. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I really struggled with thinking about moving to Birmingham because we lived in the bluest of blue bubbles in North Carolina. Carborough Mm -hmm. has a rainbow painted crosswalk and reads the Frederick Douglass speak about July 4th, every Independence Day. So that was really different. So when we thought about moving here, I talked to my therapist a lot about it and talked about what were the things that were hard about growing up in a suburb of Dallas and what we could choose to make different And like sort of what we could control. And so for that reason, we chose to live in the city of Birmingham rather than in a suburb of Birmingham, which I think has really helped and has put us in a blue bubble. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't say it's as progressive as I would like, even in our very progressive neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Same. (laughs) But it, I think, definitely helped. Being in geographic proximity to more progressive people, being able to choose public school for Plum has really made a difference for us in terms of finding a parent group who we really connect with, who are making a lot of the same choices because so many of our values are reflected in how we're parenting. And I also will say that in terms of finding my people, I think I start talking about non-surface level stuff pretty early in a friendship Mm -hmm. like I'm not really interested in small talk just feel like I don't really have time for that (laughs) and so when I meet people they know a lot about me really fast and I want to know a lot about them really fast which means I think I'm kind of intense like I think I come on pretty strong Mm -hmm. to people but if they can handle that then I know we're going to be good yeah so that's another piece of it
0: Any tips for
1: working your first job after the flexibility of graduate school?
0: I didn't go into a full-time job immediately post-grad school and have really never done a nine-to-five. I think I've always prioritized having that flexibility from when Neil and I biked and farmed for the summer and then volunteering at local food organizations in Austin. Then I was home for so long with the kids, and now I only work part-time. Honestly, this question makes me curious about how I'll feel about working a nine-to-five if that is what's in my future when Mm -hmm. I finish grad school. So not sure that I have a lot of advice at the moment.
1: I'm not sure I can offer advice here either. Because graduate school, when I got my PhD in biology, was a full-time plus job. Mm. So I was in lab more than nine to five every day and Mm -hmm. also worked on weekends and on some nights. So going to, I guess, the job that I had right after grad school was probably journalism. (laughs) And so I did work full-time at the Chicago Tribune when I was a fellow there. And Mm -hmm. I worked more than full-time when I was an intern for The Scientist, which is the publication that I worked for after. But then I got a job at Duke, and that was my easiest job by far because it really was only nine to five. There were not expectations really beyond. And honestly, I wasn't a great employee <laughs> then either, if we're, if we're being totally honest. I didn't get that much done while I was there, but they were fine with it or they didn't fire me. So... <laughs> Who knows? But that Duke job felt easier than anything Mm -hmm. else that I had done before that point. And then this year of graduate school, because it's been accelerated, has been so intense. Mm -hmm. And I think working three twelves a week as a nurse is going to feel awesome.
0: When Neil and I were in grad school, we talked a lot about how... We thought it would be easier when we were working, because with grad school, there's always something to be done. There's always yes. something hanging over your head. There's yeah, you always... never leave your work at work. Yes. And can never feel like you can totally turn it off. That mm-hmm. said, I think I'm pretty good at taking breaks <laughs> Turning when Turning things needed. off. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but it's interesting to look back on now, because you and I, before we started recording, we're talking about what it was like when Neil started working full time, mm-hmm. and there was this idea that that would feel easier than grad school but i think the reality was not based on this discussion it feels like it just really depends on your grad school and what job you get in terms of whether that transition feels easy or hard or mm-hmm. more or less flexible
1: yeah and you said earlier that you really have wanted that flexibility in your jobs maybe and that's mm-hmm. one thing that drew me to nursing mm-hmm. is this idea that You can work an alternate schedule or you can go down to part-time and it's actually really acceptable. Lots of people do it. There's lots Mm -hmm. of precedent for that. And so I think finding a field where if flexibility is something that's important to you, there are already some people doing that does make that easier.
0: Mm -hmm. And that there's lots of redundancy, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you're gone for a week, you come back in and pick up where you left off. There's not work that has piled up in your absence. Exactly. Exactly. What are your top five podcasts, Sarah? I have turned more towards audiobooks in recent years, so I'm not sure that I even listen to five podcasts regularly anymore. The ones in my queue that I listen to whenever they come out are Maintenance Phase, Mm -hmm. Girl Next Door, and So Connected, and then I also tune into Pod Save America probably once a week. They publish Mm. twice a week, and they're pretty long episodes, so I'm not always caught up. But I do listen when I need to feel some righteous political rage. I am also trying to find a good running podcast. So if listeners have any recommendations, please send them my way. And my pods
1: are Maintenance Face, The Engaged Midwife, The Girl Next Door. Those are the three that are still coming out that I listen to regularly. Mm -hmm. And then this year, I have binged In the Dark from APM Reports which was excellent, both seasons that I've listened to. It's an investigative podcast. And the first season, they talked about basically a very scary crime against a minor and how that changed laws at the national level. Mm -hmm. And then the second one was about this man named Curtis Flowers who had been tried for the same crime an obscene amount of times.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And Had been convicted, but had never not had the conviction overturned, but had been stuck on death row for all these years. Mm -hmm. Just really amazing things coming from this in-depth, careful journalism. Okay. And then this land from Crooked Media, which you have listened to as well, I think. Mm
0: -hmm. I loved it.
1: Which is about laws that affect Native Americans. Yes. And how the Supreme Court plays into that. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. What are your favorite colors? My favorite color is blue. Lots of shades of blue. And in my house, almost everything I get is a teal color, I have noticed. So I would say that must be near the top of the list as well. And my favorite is purple, specifically dark purple.
1: I don't think I knew that about you. The next question is about whether we have tattoos
0: or plans to get one. I would have said no to this if you asked me a few years ago, but I have been considering getting a tattoo on my chest. There are a lot of really beautiful nature-themed mastectomy tattoos. At the moment, it feels really overwhelming to think of a permanent design that I'm gonna want forever, but it's something I am considering, so stay tuned.
1: Stay tuned for me also. Tattoos are something that I really think are cool and awesome, but I have such a hard time committing to Mm -hmm. an idea and Andrew and I have talked about getting tattoos that would represent our family and our life together Mm -hmm. we kind of go back and forth on that and I really like that Mm -hmm, idea mm -hmm. my sister has really beautiful tattoos so I'm always inspired by her I haven't gotten to the point of deciding and doing it but I feel like I might do that (laughs) we'll see if we take that leap okay our last question is what shows are you watching lately
0: Neil and I are still Working our way through Schitt's Creek at a rate of about one episode every two to three months. So, So, friend,
1: I am fairly certain that this month Schitt's Creek is going off Netflix. Like the end of October? No, I think like maybe today. Hold on.
0: No. Uh Uh-oh.
1: It says October 2nd. So you already... already It's over. It's over.
0: (laughs) You can go to Hulu, I guess, but... Oh, I do have Hulu. Is it there? Yeah. Okay. Well... Who knows when we will ever finish that show? It's hard to say. <laughs> and then otherwise, I just like watching clips from Say Yes to the Dress on YouTube, which feels really relaxing. I love that for you. I wish I had better recommendations to offer <laughs> friends, but I do stand by the Say Yes to the Dress recommendation.
1: <laughs> and shit's great, too. It's great. <laughs> just not on Netflix anymore. And the two that I am watching lately are She-Hulk. On Disney+, Plus, which Andrew and I are watching together. Mm. So check it out. Okay. Eagerly awaiting the return of Ted Lasso and may reactivate my Apple TV to rewatch
0: the Mm. first Mm -hmm. two
1: seasons Mm -hmm. because I think we're probably getting it sometime early next year. We're also very excited about that one. And The Great British Baking Show, which is Mm. currently coming out.
0: Yes. I also really loved the second season of Bridgerton. Oh, yeah. As a binge watch for me earlier in the year. Yes, that was
1: great too. And I recently caught up on Call the Midwife, which isn't Mm. current for me, but I hadn't watched it in a while. And so it was really fun. There are a lot of seasons of that one. And I think they're all on Netflix too. So that's a good one. If you need a binge watch and are into babies being born, which I obviously am. Well, that's the end of our listener Q&A. Listeners, if you submitted a question and didn't hear it, hopefully that means it will be coming back as its own episode. We got some really good questions that were so meaty that we think they would make better episodes. So don't worry if you didn't hear it. That's probably what's going to happen. But we so appreciate you all sending in your questions. And remember, you can always send us questions at any time. You don't have to wait for us to ask. Let's finish by talking about what we have been eating lately. I have been eating root beer floats.
0: Mm.
1: (laughs) My neighbor, who is wonderful, had a party and had bought root beer, but nobody drank it. And she was like, hey, Mm -hmm. will you drink this root beer? Because I'm not going to drink it. I was like, absolutely, I will. So I got Blue Bell homemade vanilla ice cream. And Mm -hmm. I have been making root beer floats for myself for a treat. And it's A&W caffeine-free root beer, so I can have it at nighttime.
0: Mm. And
1: I love it so much. I love root beer. What have you been eating, Sarah?
0: We recently celebrated E's eighth birthday. And for her cake, she asked for a layer cake where instead of doing a sheet pan, which is what we normally do because, of course, that's the easiest kind of cake to make, Mm -hmm. we did a two-layer of the nine-inch round cake. We used a recipe from my family for chocolate cake. That's very easy. It's dump everything in for three minutes pour into the pans. Love it. I will say I thought I had two nine-inch round (laughs) pans because that would make sense that I would have bought two because I bought them to make cakes. And yet I could only find one. So mm -hmm. I had to bake them sequentially instead of at the same time. Oh, no. (laughs) But it all turned out fine. I made a lot of buttercream icing to go on top, Mm. did a multicolored design sprinkles we still have a lot here's the thing when you make the tall cake it's a lot of cake each mm-hmm. piece is a lot of cake because it's so much taller it's true so we've been having cake for breakfast cake in the evening cake and lunches cake all the time love it That's all for this episode of Friendlier. It's been great talking with you, Abby, and with all of you listeners. You can find
1: out more about everything we talked about today, including what we're reading and eating, in the show notes in your podcast player or on our website, friendlierpodcast.com. You can also leave us a comment there or on Instagram at friendlierpodcast or email us friendlierpodcast at
0: gmail.com. We love to hear from you. Until next time, may your books be engaging, your food delicious, and your conversations friendly. (laughs) Sorry, it just feels so funny without a segue. I don't know how much of that is staying
1: in the podcast or not. Your life hasn't changed because it is 100% on the right track. (laughs) (laughs) At all times. One time I gave some to Plum and she said, Mom. Did you forget that kids can't have beer? (laughs) I was like, this is an okay beer for kids, sweetie. Good to
0: double check, though. Did I already talk about this? Oh, no. (laughs) You, You sure did.